Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, our desire is that um, our hearts are abandoned to you. Lord, we get so tangled up in this little kingdom that we call the world. We get so trusting in what we see and feel and know in this world. And we forget that we're just traveling through. This is just a stop along the way. And Father, in these moments that we are coming to now as we open the Word of God, we pray that you would help us to pause and to open our hearts in a way that's completely abandoned and to receive the Word of God in faith. Lord, this word this morning is from you, and I pray that the words from your text, from the text in 2 Corinthians, would come alive within us. And so, Lord, I pray that, um, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Well, I'd just like to uh, affirm what our communications team shared with you earlier about Elvanto. Um, it's going to make our job so much easier. We'll be so much more effective in communicating with you. I remember several people told me that uh, they didn't hear about Cindy's funeral, so they couldn't be here because we didn't have their up-to-date email addresses. So uh, we just want to encourage you to do this. Plus, every Tuesday when we have our staff meeting, there's times when we go around and say, now, you know, we want to give away a check for $10,000, but we don't know who to give it to <laughs> unless we have your email address. So um, if you miss out on that, that's, that's your bad. That's on you. Don't, don't blame us, you know. We've just got money sitting around waiting to, to give away. So I'll be sure and fill that in, drop that in the offering plate at the close. So I'd like to begin uh, this morning by reminding you uh, by the way, our, our worship set this morning really did that. It reminded us of who we are. But I'd like to, based on last Sunday's message, I'd like to remind you once again of who you are. So these weeks we've been looking at the contrast between uh, the old covenant and the new covenant. Uh, the old body and the new body. And last week, the old life and the new life. And the verse that is so spectacular that most many of us have known since we were children, 2 Corinthians 5.17, we've learned that and memorized it and embraced it for all these years, is, is what we looked at last week. Therefore, if anyone, and let me say it very personally, if any one of you is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That's who you are. That's who you are in Christ Jesus. If by faith you have said yes to God, you have received Christ into your life, he has forgiven your sins, he has absolutely guaranteed your eternity in heaven by the Holy Spirit, if you are a child of God, this truth is yours. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus, a new creation. This morning I want to uh, share with you some things that I feel are very exciting about this new life, this new life that we have in Jesus. 
Now, I want to refresh your memory about last week. We looked at, Paul used four words to describe this new life that we have in Christ. And you'll recall what they are. Uh, the first one was, a, we are a recreation. We're recreated. And that means that we are, we're not just uh, made better. Uh, we're not improved. Uh, we're not reformed. But we are transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you're new in Christ, Christ is new in you. And you are completely created brand new. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. So you were recreated. We also talked about how that you were reconciled. And the word reconciled, we know that we have been, uh, our lives have been cut off from God because of our sin, not because of anything God has done. In fact, God has done his, anything in his power. He's put the, blood, the, the, the cross of Jesus Christ between us and himself. But if we've said no to God, we have cut our relationship off with God so that there's no, it's irreconcilable. But in Christ Jesus, we have been reconciled. We have been knit together like a bone. Last week we talked about that. We've been knit together so that that relationship is even stronger than it ever was before. So we are uh, recreated. We are reconciled, rewoven. And the third thing that Paul said in verse 21 is that we are the righteousness of God. And we talked about Martin Luther's famous uh, word that he called the wonderful exchange where the righteousness of Jesus Christ all of his wonder and his love and his beauty and his eternal, uh, everything about him, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is here and the sin and wickedness of you and I in here and the wonderful exchange that Martin Luther talked about is simply this. All of Christ's righteousness becomes ours and all of our sin becomes his. So no longer is our sin our sin, but it belongs to Christ and he died for it. And no longer, at least for that time on the cross, is his righteousness, but it's our righteousness in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? So we are recreated. We are reconciled. We have received the righteousness of Christ. And the last word that we looked at last week, we spent the most time on, is we are representatives of God regarding Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And so here's your description of who you are. You are the highest ranking diplomat from God in heaven to the earth. That's who you are. You're the highest ranking diplomat from God, from heaven to the earth. And when you know who you are, remember what we said last week? When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Say that out loud with me. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Now, this week we're talking about what do we do in our relationships. When you know who you are in Christ, we're ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we carry with us the reconciliation that God wants to have with man. So we bring that from heaven as his ordained diplomat. We bring that from heaven to the earth and we provide that to other people that we know. Here is the reconciliation of God. It's yours. It's a gift. And we give that to other people. So once we know who we are, it really affects the kind of relationships we have. Who you are dictates how you do relationships. So I want to look at the text today from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, through chapter 7, verse 4. I'll be reading in the New Living Translation. Um, another very close translation is the NIV. If you have your uh, iPads, if you have your iPhones, we put it up on the screen in your sermon notes. We want to give you the Word of God in 20 different ways. <laughs> Because if there's one thing we want for our people, it's this. 
Read your Bible. Okay? Today, tomorrow, the next day, read your Bible. If you don't, understand, if you don't believe what I say, read your Bible. If you don't see what's going on in the world, read your Bible. That's all I can say. Read your Bible. So we're going to begin today with 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is the Word of God for Hope Covenant Church. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. Oh, dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. There is no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. I am asking you to respond as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. Now, Paul is saying our, he means mostly himself, but also Titus and other apostles who had visited Corinth. Now remember, in Corinth, they had their own pastors, their own bishops that were ordained right there to minister in their church. But Paul was the one that led these people to Christ. Paul was the one who organized that church. Paul was the one who appointed a pastor there. So he has this heart connection with the Corinthian church. And something is fractured, and he feels very badly about that. And he says, open your hearts to us. Then verse 14, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. The word there that maybe you learned growing up, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's what you read in the NIV, the King James Version. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So Paul says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said. And then uh, Paul quotes three specific verses from the Old Testament. These are three different verses from different parts of the Old Testament. And this is what he says. I will live with them. This is God speaking to you. I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. And I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Because we have these promises, Paul writes, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. In the verse, chapter 7, verse 2, please open your hearts to us. We have not done wrong to anyone, nor led anyone astray, nor taken advantage of anyone. I'm not saying this to condemn you, I said that, I said before that you are in our hearts and we live or die together with you. I have the highest confidence in you and I take great pride in you. You have greatly encouraged me and made me happy despite all our troubles. So Paul says when it comes to the area of relationships, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. When you know that you're an ambassador from the Almighty God, from heaven to earth, with the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the, the gift of reconciliation that God wants to give to human beings. When you realize that, who you are, it affects every relationship you have. And the relationships that you have that he talks about in this text are threefold. One, relationships with each other in the body of Christ as fellow Christians, as fellow believers. That's relationship number one. Relationship number two, relationships that you have with people outside the family of God 
those who have not yet experienced the love and grace of Jesus Christ. How do we relate to people outside the world? And the third relationship, which is the most important and the most transformational, is the relationship that we have with the Father. Because the Bible says very clearly that relationships can be toxic or dynamic. They can give life or they can give death. We all know those kind of relationships. We've all experienced them. We know the kind of relationships that literally breathe life into us and others that deplete us. And we want to look at these uh, this morning. So uh, in order, we'll look at our relationship with each other, with the uh, people outside the church, and then with the Father himself. So relationships with believers. The context is this. Paul had somehow gotten crosswise with the church at Corinth. Now remember, Paul established this church. Probably most of the people in the church, both Jews and Greeks, Paul had personally led to Christ. So these are his spiritual children. Now, we also know that there was a letter that was written. That's, we have, we don't have no record of it. It was uh, lost in antiquity. But the letter that he wrote to the church to tell them that they weren't doing what he had expected them to do. And it was about that man that was sinning in their midst and nobody was saying anything to him. And about some sophists and some um, uh, Judaizers that were coming into the church and influencing the church. And so he'd written them a very strong letter. Uh, again, a letter that we don't have. Uh, that, uh, and that very strong letter said, you've got to do this right. Now, I told you what you needed to do, and you haven't done it. You need to do this. And so the, the church at Corinth were getting kind of weird about that. They thought, well, he's being mean to us, you know, and he's writing these harsh words to us. No, you just haven't done what you've told to do, and, and, and all that. And so they start talking, well, may, maybe somebody else would be nicer to us. Why doesn't he come and visit us more often? Why doesn't Paul send Titus more often? How come he doesn't write us night warm, warm fuzzy letters with little hearts over the eyes? You know, why doesn't he do it? And so they're having all this stuff. And in the meantime, the Judaizers and the sophists and the Gnostics that were infiltrating the church, yeah, he's not so hot after all. Yeah, that Paul guy, I'm not sure you want to listen to him anymore. And so all of this was going on. And Paul writes in this letter, he said, listen, my heart is for you. I love you. I love you. I led you to Christ. I will do anything to repair this relationship. I, I, I love you, but I don't feel that same love coming back from you. Paul talks about this relationship with other believers as being so critical in his own life. Look at what he says in verses 11 to 13. Oh, dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. There is no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. I'm asking you to respond as if, I, as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. So here's the point that Paul wants to make. We're in this thing together. This thing that we call being ambassadors for God being the highest ordained officials in heaven, appointed to come to this earth with the good news of Jesus Christ. We're in this thing together. We need to figure out how to get along. We need to have disagreements and arguments and then love each other through those. And we need to figure this out. We need to be together. We cannot be separate on this. We are ambassadors. What God has called us to do, to reconcile people to God, we can't do that if we're not loving each other and caring for each other. He says, you're a family. Your family. So what does it mean to be family? Now, when I'm talking about this first part about being relationship with other believers, of course you all have relationships with 
people that are not in our church, other believers throughout the country, the world. You all have those. But in the context of what we're talking about this morning, I would like you to focus on the believers in our church, the people that you sit with, the people that you'll spend eternity with, right? Even if you don't like it. Uh, people in this church and others too, but just for our context, think of Hope Covenant Church, your home church. Okay, this is what this means to me. So we are a family. So Jesus is speaking to a crowd. And in his crowd, in the front of the crowd, are the disciples uh, and other Christ followers, maybe 20, 30 of the followers of Jesus. And he's speaking to this large crowd. And one of the disciples said, hey, Jesus, uh, your mom and brother are over there at the door and they'd like to have a word with you. Now, Jesus loved his family. Uh, Jesus had, uh, of course, a mother. Uh, he had stepfather, Joseph. He also had all these brothers and sisters that were you know, children of Joseph and Mary. So they were kind of half brothers and sisters, but they were his brothers and sisters. So he had this large family. So Jesus said, okay, now I love my family and they know how I feel about them, but I want to take this opportunity to let people know what it means to be a family. And so he starts pointing to the disciples right up front. See, you, you, you feed people right here, the Christ followers, not just the disciples, but those who are following Christ. And this is what he said. Look, these, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And in that one passage in Matthew chapter 12, he redefined family. Now, all of us, and Sherry and I love our blood family. We do. We love our parents. We love our ancestors. We love our children, our grandchildren. We love everybody that has the cross blood flowing through them. We, we love them all. But they're also goofballs, every one of them. And so are your families. And, uh, but you know what? As much as we love our families, what Jesus was trying to say is that when it comes, push comes to shove, when you're in the battle, when you're being an ambassador for Jesus Christ, you look around for other ambassadors, and those other ambassadors are right here. And we have a job to do. We have a task to do. And we need to do that together. You are my brothers and sisters and mothers. You are the ones that I carry the message of reconciliation with you to each other and to the world. You are the family that matters to me. One of the things that we always want to believe as the Evangelical Covenant Church is we want to major on the majors and minor on the minors. We believe with all our heart that we can disagree with each other about all kinds of things. We can disagree with each other about water, how much water, how much baptism, how much water you use in baptism. We can disagree about uh, eschatology, when is Christ going to return. We can disagree about each other with women in ministry, all of these things. But then the when push comes to shove, we are on the same page, and I'll tell you why. Because vision is from God, preferences are from man. Vision comes from God. The vision he gave us to be people of reconciliation who bring the message of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That is the vision that we have. And we need to press into that and to hold that and to cherish that vision. In the covenant church, we say, okay, here's the two things we major on. We believe the Bible is the word of God. We want you to read it. We want you to study it. We want you to believe it. We want you to know it. We want you to embrace it. We want it to be part of you. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. And we believe that every person in this world and every person that you know, every person in our community can know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior and be transformed and redeemed. We believe those two things with all our heart. Everything else we'll argue about. 
Everything else we'll talk about. But those two things are the two hills that we will die on. So um, a few years ago, actually, I'll go way back to when the first church uh, first started in the strip mall, when I first came in 2000, um, uh, one of the leaders of the church was uh, a good friend of mine. Uh, he had walked with me through the, the call process along with Stacy Heimkees, and he was a, a wonderful brother. And we, he and I served together. He was my chairman. We, I can see us kneeling on our hands and knees in my office in the strip mall, praying that God would give us a vision to reach people for Christ and that God would give us the ability to reach people for Christ. He and I both have a, a background in, in uh, recovery, so we did interventions with people in our church. We prayed together. We witnessed together. We served together. We cleaned bathrooms together. We did everything, and it was amazing because we had this, this, this vision that we shared. And then a few years ago, he came to me and he said, he said, Pastor Duane, I hate to tell you this, but we're going to leave the church uh, because we prefer a different type of music. And I thought, Lord, how is that possible? How is it possible that a, a preference, something we like or don't like, which is all about me, <laughs> it's all about you, how can we possibly allow a preference to trump the vision that God has given us to reach one more person in Chandler for Jesus Christ. I've never understood that. I never will. I mean, as a pastor, I hate these conversations when people come and say we're leaving the church. Sometimes it's valid, but most of the time it's about a preference. Preferences are about you. Vision is about God. And when we recognize that and we press into that, these things that happened to Paul in Corinth, things that happen in every church in the world, those things start kind of falling away when we recognize that God has called us to reach one more person for Jesus Christ and we will do anything short of sin to do that. We will do anything. And yes, you and I will disagree about music or preaching style or our children's department or youth. Those things are important and we raise them up, but they are never as important as the vision of, Christ, of Hope Covenant Church. The vision is from God and it's to you and to me. And that vision is to carry that message of reconciliation. You're the highest ordained dignitary from heaven to earth with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we share that. Please don't ever allow a preference to trump what we're about here. We don't, when we talk to people, we just finished a core class. When we talk to people about our church. We make sure that they understand this. If you're coming here because you prefer something, the kind of music we do, the kind of preaching we have, the kind of children's program we have, the kind of youth program, we're, we're glad and we try to make all of those things excellent. But if you're coming here because you prefer something, you might want to look for a different church. Because we want you here because you believe in the vision of this church. You believe that people outside of us need Jesus desperately and we will do everything in our power as ambassadors to God, as ambassadors from God. Highest, highest devoted emissaries from God with the good news of reconciliation, we bring that to the earth and we share that together. That's who we are. And we're not a church about who likes what. You know what? I don't care if you like something or don't like something. There's things about our church I don't like. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me because I'm focused on one thing. What can we do as a body of Christ to reach people for Jesus Christ? That's what I'm about. If you want preferences and things that you like or don't like, find another church. This isn't for you. 
We are here because of our vision. And God has called us to be a people that in unison hold arms. We disagree with each other around the coffee coffee pot, around the water cooler, but we join arms and we march out into the world and we say, we are God's ordained emissaries to this world, from God to this earth with a message of reconciliation. And we will not leave that vision. That's what Paul was trying to communicate to the Corinthian church. That's what my heart is for Hope Covenant Church. I never want us to be a church about what we like. I only want us to be a church about what our vision is and how we can do that vision for Jesus Christ. Last week, we, uh, after the first service, um, uh, a guy that used to be part of our church, Jeff Smith, um, uh, was here. And he's about three or four years ago, he moved from uh, Arizona to New Mexico to be with his elderly mother. But I remember when Jeff Smith first came to our church maybe eight, nine years ago. Uh, Jeff came, he just uh, came off of a really painful divorce, uh, estranged from his kids, um, just really all alone. And uh, he stumbled into our church uh, one Sunday and sat in the back and, you know, did one of these deals. You know, we've all done that, you know, like basically, I don't know why I'm here, but, you know, I'm here. And after a few weeks... um, uh, Jeff, Jeff gave his heart to Christ, and his life was transformed, and the brokenness in his soul from his divorce was healed, and he became this alive man. He became this ambassador of Jesus Christ, and he just had this amazing spirit about him. So, well, then time goes on, and he moves to uh, New Mexico. So last Sunday, he's here at our church, and uh, after the first service, he said, it was great being here. And I I greeted him. And then I went on to greet other people. But I noticed he was still kind of standing right next to me. So I knew that he still had something more he wanted to say. And so when I had an opportunity, I turned to him. I said, so Jeff, um, uh, do you have something else you wanted to tell me? He said, yeah. He said, I I want you to know something, Dwayne. He said, "Um, this is my church family. This is my home. This is where I found Christ. This is where I found some of the greatest friends I've ever had. This is where I worked arm-in-arm arm with people at the, he used to be head of the Mesa Men's Center, feeding the Mesa Men's Center. This is where we worked together and served together. This is my family. And even though I'm 600 miles away in New Mexico, this is my family, and it'll always be my family. I just, he said, I just want to tell you and the church, thank you for saving me. And I, you know, I know the nuance doesn't sound right, but what his heart was right, he says, you introduced me to Jesus Christ. Thank you for being my family. That's the family of God. And that family is not torn apart by disagreements or arguments or anything else that has to do with preference. That family is here together because we believe that God has given us a vision to reach one more person for Jesus Christ. When you know who you are and you know what God has called you to do, you'll know what to do. Relationships in the body of Christ are messy and complicated We meet them with love and trembling at times, but God said to us that the world is watching. If if you've ever talked, uh, last night, uh, Sherry and I were at a block party in our community. First time we've ever done that. And um, and so we met a lot of our neighbors that we didn't know, and uh, it was just fun and everything. And Sherry and I both had prayed that if God would give opportunity to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ, we would. But the few people that knew uh, who, what I did as a pastor, knew that we were Christ followers. 
And others that learned, Sherry had to leave early to go to another birthday party, but others that learned, you could tell that they were kind of watching me. <laughs> what are you going to, are you, are you weird? I mean, a pastor? Never seen a pastor eat a hamburger before, you know, but, you know, that's what I do. And, and it just, but you know, did you know that the world is watching you? The world is watching you? Let me tell you why. John 13, 35, Jesus said it this way. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Conversely, if you don't love one another, that will prove to the world that you're not my disciples. That really matters, how we love each other, how we press into each other's lives. Again, we can disagree, we can argue, we can, all of those things. But when it comes to the vision, we are rock solid. We are here to do the work of Jesus and reach one more person for Jesus Christ. You're on a ride. This isn't just a place where you come because you like something. You're on a ride, and that ride is amazing, and it's exciting, and it's hard. And I welcome each and every one of you to it. We are family because we have the same Father. We are love because we are to be fiercely devoted to each other in love, and we have a common purpose. Second Corinthians 5.18, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. If we focus on these three things, all other things simply fall away. That's our relationship with each other. What about our relationship with people who are not Christ followers? Well, of course, the big answer, the simple answer, is that we do everything in our power to befriend them and to love them into the kingdom. Our enemies, the people that don't love God, other religions, other sexual orientations, other colors of skin, doesn't matter. All people are God's children. God loves every one of them. Jesus died for every one of them. Every one of them needs Jesus. Yes, every single one of them. The big picture is, yeah, we try to love them into the kingdom. But there's some nuance here. And the nuance, nuance is, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, that's been highly misunderstood over the years. And I want you to understand kind of what the essence of that, pass, that verse means. So let me read uh, verses 14 and 15 again. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? So those are the questions that have to be asked. Do not be yoked with unbelievers. Now, the context here is all of these other religions that were sneaking into the church in Corinth. On the Greek side, Sophism, Gnosticism. On the Hebrew side, Judaizers. Of all of those, the most dangerous were the Judaizers because the Judaizers were the ones that said this. We believe in Christ. We know Jesus. We heard about him. Some of us actually even saw him because this happened, you know, 18, 19 years ago. We believe in Jesus, but Christ plus the old covenant. That's the trick. Christ plus the old way of keeping score and making sure that we check off each of the commandments, plus the 612 commandments that came out of the 10, plus the thousands that came out of the Midrash, telling you how you're supposed to live your life. So Christ plus all of these rules, laws, and regulations, that's the ticket to really gain happiness into heaven. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Christ plus anything is heresy. Christ plus anything is heresy. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus paid it all, the old song we used to sing. Jesus died for your sins on the cross and your sins were taken care of past, present, and future. You are in Christ. You are reconciled. You are redeemed. You're, you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's all yours in Christ Jesus. There is nothing else. So 
all of these influences were happening in the church, and they were kind of turning Paul against, or turning the church against Paul. And it's in this context that Paul says, "Be very careful about these people, especially the Judaizers. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers." Okay, so remember the context: Judaizers, these guys that are preaching a different gospel. Don't be linked with them. Don't say, oh, come on in, be part of us, and we'll just link arms together. Uh, Sherry and I, uh, last week, we uh, met a guy at a, at a store, uh, what was it, a, a um, uh, furniture store. And uh, he was from Iran. And he said he had to leave Iran because he was religiously persecuted. And when he said that, Sherry and I both thought, oh, maybe he's a Christian. Well, he's Baha'i faith. And Baha'i faith says that all religions, all ways of looking at God, all ways of seeing God are correct. Every door leads to the center. Every door leads to God. Now, we didn't have a chance to talk to him further than that, but that's what the world tends to think. Everything's okay, and Paul came along and said, absolutely not. Christ plus, only, plus anything is heresy, and so we've got to do away with that. So do not be yoked with those unbelievers. Here's how Ray Steadman talks about this passage, uh, a famous Christian author. He says, It is a cruel thing to yoke together two things of incompatible natures. There are certain associations that Christians have with unbelievers that constitute a yoke. And these associations are a certain cause of misery and shame in a Christian's life. We are to avoid them. They will hinder us, limit us, bind us, and keep us from enjoying the fullness of God has in mind for us. They are like trying to mix oil with water. And that's what God says, that we just have to be careful. Now, this idea of being yoked, let me tell you what that means. Uh, do not be yoked with unbelievers. A yoke was a wooden harness where two animals were linked together. And if you forced a donkey and an oxen into that yoke, you were getting nothing plowed. <laughs> Both want to dominate. Uh, the oxen tends to be, as an animal, tends to be kind of hardworking and cooperative. The donkey not, doesn't. By the way, you can decide whether you're a donkey or an oxen. You know, that's, uh, I'm not going to tell you that. You have to figure that out yourselves. But, but we have to recognize that when you have these two, they're at cross purposes and nothing is accomplished. And so in that context, um, Paul says, be very careful of attaching yourselves to uh, yoke yourselves with unbelievers. Now, in order to understand what it means, we need to first understand what it doesn't mean, okay? Um, being unequally yoked does not mean separating yourself physically from the world. It doesn't mean going to a monastery. It doesn't mean joining an Amish community where you say, I don't want to hear or see or anything from the world. Just leave me alone, leave me alone. That's not what God wants from us. And why do we know that? Very simply. When Jesus came to this earth, he didn't hide from anybody. In fact, he pressed into the bars and the places where the prostitutes hung out and all the bad people and the money changers. That's where he hung out because he knew those people were sick and those people needed his love and his grace. And he said, I didn't come to save the found. I came to save the lost. And so Jesus would find himself in all of these places. So it doesn't mean that we're supposed to separate ourselves physically from the world. You know, you heard about the, the monk who joined a monastery he took an oath of silence, and he was only allowed to speak two words per year. So after the first year passed, he went to his leader, and he said to his leader, bed hard. Okay. It's two words. 
stays there another year, his vow of silence, comes to his leader at the end of the second year. He says, soup cold. This is two words. Another year he stays there. The next year he comes back to the leader and he says, I quit. <laughs> the leader says, well, I expected as much. All you've done for three years is complain. You know, so, <laughs> so you're not called to be a monk, right? You are called to be in the world, but not of the world. Just like a boat is in the water, but not of the water. So it doesn't mean that we're supposed to separate ourselves physically from the world, nor does it mean that we are to refuse relationships with unbelievers. In fact, if anything, and you know my heart in this, if anything, you and I should have more unsaved friends than we have saved friends. Now, I know that's probably not true of any of us. I don't even have a lot of places that I go where there are uh, that I, I have a lot of uh, non-Christian friends. My best place for being an ambassador is at the gym when I work out there. And, uh, but, but we need to have relationships with people that don't know Christ because we are God-ordained ambassadors carrying the good news of reconciliation from God, from heaven, to the earth. And that's what we as a group, as a individuals and as a group, are called to do. So it doesn't mean refusing relationships with unbelievers. Some have said, well but we should just not even be friends with non-Christians. That's not true at all. This is what Jesus said when he was praying to his father in John 17. He said, Father, as you have sent me to the world, I have been sent into the world. Uh, my disciples have been sent into the world by me. In other words, the very reason that God sent Jesus to the world to save, to bring the message of reconciliation, is the very same reason that you have been sent into the world. Your ambassadors of Jesus Christ. So it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to have relationships with unbelievers. It just simply means that we're supposed to be an influencer rather than the influenced. You are to be an influencer. In other words, in your relationship, you make sure that, you know, how, it, how hard it is if somebody's on the floor in Europe on a table, how almost impossible it is to pull them up onto the table, and how easy it is for them to pull you down is called gravity. It's a very cool thing. But sometimes gravity happens in relationships. You have to make sure that you're the one, that you're the one that's on the table trying to pull them up, that they're not pulling you down. So we are called to be influencers and not influenced. But let me tell you what being unequally yoked does mean. It does mean avoiding partnerships with unbelievers. Partnerships with unbelievers. The word yoked means to be tied to someone, close to someone, intimate, kind of an intimate relationship, partners that have the same goals, the same dreams, the same values. So most theologians believe that this is true in two areas of our lives, in business and in marriage. So let me just talk about each of those briefly. In business, we have to be very careful that we're not yoked or linked to someone who has different values, different ethics, uh, different desires and dreams for the business and for how we treat customers because that becomes a, an oxen and a donkey right there. It's very difficult. I could ask how many of you have been in business with an unbeliever and almost every one of you would say it was a disaster. If you want to know a, a, a story about that, ask Sherry's dad sometimes uh, next time he's over here from San Diego. Uh, but when you have this joined cohabitation thing with a partner, it becomes very difficult. This is what um, Eugene Peterson says about this passage in the message. Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make, now friends, yes, be an influencer, absolutely. 
But don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not a partnership. That's war. (laughs) Is light best friends with darkness? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? So be very careful if you are in business with an unbeliever. Usually, I'm dealing, helping a, a young family in our church, they come to first service, that are trying to kind of extricate themselves from a business relationship with a guy who is very unsavory and has completely different values. And what's interesting is this young couple have just come to Christ in the last two years at our church, and so everything has changed about how they want to do business. And now all of a sudden they're unequally yoked. Be very careful. It's a very dangerous proposition. Let me tell you an even more dangerous proposition. Being unequally yoked with an unbeliever in marriage. Now we have many women, especially in our church, who are married to men who are not saved. Now let me make sure I'm clear on this before I go on. What I'm going to say now, this is not a get out of marriage free card. <laughs> For those of you who are married and don't, your husband's not a believer or whatever. No, in fact, the Bible's very clear about how we deal with that. We deal with that with a a spirit, a heart for Jesus, and a heart of love for your spouse, uh, and you keep loving them and encouraging them and being an an ambassador from God to them until they come to know Christ. So it's not about that. But it is about those of you who are thinking about maybe marrying someone who's not a believer. The Bible says that's very dangerous territory because especially in a marriage, uh, what makes a marriage... The vows is two people have a heart connection with themselves and with God. It has not to do with the body. It has two people that have a heart connection connected with God. So if you're not connected with God and you don't have that heart connection, you don't have this marriage that God wants you to experience, this this love and this joy, this freedom of the Spirit in your relationship. So what does the Bible say about dating non-Christians? Okay, that would be what I'd say to people, not only young people, but people who are uh, adults as well. Well, it says absolutely nothing about dating. Uh, in fact, dating was, is part of our Western culture. It's only a couple thousand years old, less than that. And uh, if we did it in the old school way, the way it, society was when Jesus was on earth, um, dads, we would have the right to determine who our daughters were to marry. How many vote for that? I would have voted for that, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, sign me up for that. Well, we don't get that choice anymore. So the Bible says nothing about dating. But here's what it does say. Be very careful who you link up with. Not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually, you become one person. And if one of you is an oxen and one is a donkey, you're in for a terrible, terrible time in your relationship. Be careful not to be yoked with Christ followers. I uh, have uh, several friends in church who are single, adults who are single, And once in a while, they'll come and tell me about uh, a new girlfriend or a new boyfriend they have. And my question is always the same. And they, even though they know it's going to be the same question, they always keep telling me. And I said, okay, so I've got this new girlfriend. Great. Uh, Is she a Christ follower? First words out of my mouth every single time. Because you know what? Everything else pales in comparison. Is she a Christ follower? Well, I don't know you don't know, and then I get in their face, you know, and chew them out and everything, and they wilt a little bit, and, you know, but you know what? How is it possible that we as Christ followers can even imagine linking up, yoking with someone who doesn't have the same values, the same spiritual heart, the same love for God that we have? Be very careful. It is unwise to marry an unbeliever. Finally, the last relationship that Paul talks about 
is our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And this is so beautiful. We, we recognize that some relationships are toxic. Those when we're linked or yoked with unbelievers. Some are dynamic relationships we have with each other. But the most dynamic relationship we'll ever experience is that relationship we have with our Father in heaven. You'll never appreciate a dynamic relationship in this world until you get this right with God. The depth of intimacy and love and purpose and joy that God wants to have with you. Um, there's a formal Greek word for father that you'll see sometimes in the New Testament, but it's never in terms of our heavenly father. The word, the informal word in the Greek is pater, P-A-T-E-R. It's where we get the word paternal, paternity, etc. Pater. That word is never used when Jesus is talking about his heavenly father. Jesus uses the word, uh, the Aramaic word that is Abba, which means daddy, papa. Isn't that beautiful? Listen to what Paul says about our relationship with the father in two of the verses from the Old Testament. I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God. What a promise and they will be my people. And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's the relationship that God wants to have with you. And when that relationship was right with the father, the relationships with the church of Jesus Christ, the relationships with people who are outside the faith that still need to know Jesus, all of those relationships will make sense. When we have this beautiful, powerful, intimate relationship with God. Notice what he says in those three verses. His indwelling presence, I will live in them. That's from the Old Testament. I will live in them. His intimate fellowship, I will walk with you. And his infinite care, you are my sons and daughters. And when you get this relationship right with God, everything else falls into place. And brothers and sisters in Christ, when you know who you are and you know what God has called you to do and be, you'll always know what to do. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, what an amazing passage of Scripture you have given us in this text this morning. You have affirmed us in our call to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's why we're still breathing on this planet. It's not so that we can make money or build houses. It's so that we can be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. So thank you for that amazing truth. But Lord, in the context of being your ambassador, we have to live our life on this planet. And we do that with believers and we do that with unbelievers. And Father, I pray that you would help us to make sure that these relationships are centered in you. That as a church family, we are so committed. We have such a high value for our vision that the preferences that we may have or not have just simply fall away as, as just chaff in the wind. But Father, we have this commitment that we will do anything in our power to reach one more person for Jesus Christ. And Father, for those who are outside the faith, may we love them, may we befriend them, may we be very careful to partner with them outside of Christ. But Lord, may we do everything to bring them the message of reconciliation. And Lord, this relationship that you want with us, that you will be in us, that kind of intimacy, that you will walk with us, that kind of partnership. Lord, thank you that you desired that relationship with your children. So, Father, I just pray now that 
as uh, the church has been hearing this word, that this word would become part of the church. May it be in us, and may we live it faithfully for Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all of God's people together said, amen, amen.